Internet. I'm your host, Dixit, and I've been joined by Adam and Eddie. So let's get started. Folks, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Eddie. I started programming when I was 13 years old and I've been in software all my life, really. So um, I'm now mid-40s. So I've been doing software for a lot of years and love software. Um, done lots of different programming languages. Mm, Adam? Yeah, it sounds pretty similar to me, except I was, uh, I'm not quite 40. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was, um, I was programming on the Commodore 64 when we had one of those. Thought it was amazing. <laughs> Things have changed a little bit since then. It used to be, um, you know, what was it, 64K on the, on the MS-DOS? But yeah, I'm, I'm working in JavaScript and Ruby at the moment, um, and web, web apps for a long time now, so that's me. How about you, Dixon? Wow. Uh, so, a little bit of backstory how I started dreaming about computers. Uh, in a standard, or in the schools when I was in, like, little over, I started seven or eight, I see first computer in a computer lab, and it was a, a teacher at that time pulled off Doom game. I don't know if you've seen oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, and it was the first time I like, holy, I gotta do this. <laughs> this is just so good because he pulled out the gun and like, oh, you can shoot anybody. <laughs> but anyway, that's, so where that, I, that's where I first picked up networking because at uni we weren't supposed to be playing it, but <laughs> it's yeah. possible. Yeah. Uh, so at that time, I decided that I, the only thing I would do is do coding and programming. And uh, forward a few years, and uh, I finished my degree in uh, computer science, uh, three years uh, in Sydney. Uh, and, uh, and, and working in a, as a full-stack developer, so I do mainly PHP, uh, Laravel, uh, and uh, JavaScript, and, and all, all the other things that goes behind programming for about three and a half years now. Uh, and uh, it's fun. Uh, mm. And it's getting exciting. And now new tools are coming out and how everything is just growing, I feel. And it's just really good. I love it. Yeah. So, Eddie, how... What type of PhD? You, you've done PhD as well, isn't it? I've done PHP. Oh, PhD, I mean, in the uni. Oh, if PhD. You, yeah. Yes. Um, so I did, like, PhD and then uh, two postdocs as well. Um, so, like, one of the things I've done is, like, so the whole software development, um, like, how you go about creating software, how you control the software uh, quality, how you do requirements side, the whole because that was in Japan mm -hmm. because they really want to grow their software industry so mm -hmm. they feel that like the car industry and the electronics industry is going to get taken over by other Asian nations and mm -hmm. so they want to switch to being software orientated mm -hmm. and so they're putting a lot of money into research into software and trying to improve their software industry mm -hmm. Uh -huh. So you do other things and you teach students about the software as well you work at uni so t tell us a bit about that. Um, oh, that's really just teaching students to learn how to program is the, uh, the, the gist of it. As in, so they start with, uh, generally these days, they're still using Java rather than, uh, I've heard of some people teaching JavaScript, but the majority still are teaching Java, the first programming language. Mm -hmm. And uh, really just spending a lot of time writing code and getting used to uh, coding and software and the software development lifecycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But these days I've been doing a lot of Node. Node's getting uh, like... I, I saw the graphs that show that it's 
uh, dwarfing what happened with Ruby on Rails. Well, Ruby on Rails was the like the fastest adoption rate of any language going when it uh, was around. Or, well, it still is around. It's still <laughs> a major. Um, but apparently, Nord is dwarfing its adoption rates. Uh, Nord is basically getting everywhere. And so, yeah, I've been using things like Zapper and uh, sort of Express Framework and those kind of things to uh, put websites together and have client-side and server-side all written in JavaScript. And so, yeah, yeah. It's cool yeah. technology. Building enterprise on it. <laughs> all right, uh, moving on to Adam. Uh, you, you did more on a side of, uh, you do full stack, but you use Ruby on Rails. So, What's your thought about what just Eddie says about the Ruby on Rails? Oh, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's interesting because uh, there's a Tyobe index uh, and Ruby has just gone back up to its highest ever, highest ever spot in that list. Um, but Ruby isn't Rails. Like, Rails is the, is the framework for doing web applications um, and Ruby's a language. So I'm not sure if that means Ruby is, like, spreading out to other areas as well, um, more. Things like uh, Puppet and Chef have a lot of Ruby in them, mm-hmm. tools for DevOps and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, Rails, Rails is becoming a bit more mature now. It's not like the, the go-to for startups maybe as much, but it's sort of permeating out to enterprises more and more. So we're seeing a lot more of that, I think. But the thing about uh, JavaScript is, is everyone who's doing a web app of any kind in any language has to know a bit of JavaScript. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's just a huge uptake of people who can move to Node. Um, and yeah, that's also stabilizing. Um, so yeah, look, um, I, I do a fair bit of both. <laughs> Lately, I've been doing a very large amount of JavaScript in the front end and just solely um, sitting there. So, yeah, but uh, I, I I was looking at this this document the other day, and uh, this there was one slide that shows how JavaScript has just evolved into this sort of because if you look at the concept of MVC, a few years ago it was purely on a back end. You had this Ruby on Rails or PHP who would do the MVC. Now, that's maturing to the JavaScript world as well. So if you get AngularJS, uh, you've got this concept of MVC moving in and in just maturing itself. You then go in and sort of those data models and, uh, and sort of structures. So I think looking forward, more and more people would go on Node.js and there'll be X amount of projects going on Ruby on Rails or Laravel or, or any of the PHP or Ruby frameworks. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's growing pretty fast, I think. Uh, I've heard somebody started working on a like very low-level web browser language because of the speed issue. Like, If you want to have, say, Photoshop running in a browser, yeah, something that's very like uh, graphics-heavy, um, then it's very hard to do that with something like uh, JavaScript um, because you really need sort of very powerful, very uh, low-level kind of code. And so I've heard they've started working on a very low-level like language to put inside of browsers, so that they can run um, more heavy applications. Mm. Well, there's um, there's like Asm.js and these kinds of things, which is where you got just-in-time compilation, like like the JVM mm-hmm. does, um, and that's like super highly optimized stuff happening in the in the browser now. Um, but you know, with with being a bit of a dynamic language, you can't do things like. Um, you know, treating everything like an integer and it could suddenly change into a string, this kind of things. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, functions can be added and, and removed, so. Um, yeah. Yeah, but then there are a lot of things going on in that space for sure. Yeah, definitely. I would also, this, this uh, thing happened when I was working in a client, I wouldn't say the name, but anyway, there was a client who needed to run a large amount of uh, a backend 
onto the servers. Uh, somehow the project manager decided that he's going to use JavaScript because he got just the, the sort of uh, emotion that Node's going to take over the world and that's what we're going to do. Anyway, so we put a three months of work or two and a half months of work into the getting the whole thing working in a JavaScript. We chose the Firebase as a backend. Uh, so Firebase mm -hmm. is yeah. a database. And because Firebase had a really good library on AngularJS, we did uh, AngularJS and all that stuff, stuff goes on a backend. So then mobile apps would connect to the server, which runs P uh, JavaScript. And within just the first week, we started having issues. It's a performance issues because what we the problem was that getting those uh, because JavaScript doesn't it's asynchronous functions you know they don't wait until your HTTP execution finishes they just you have to call the promises to get those data yeah, yeah. they're synchronous yeah. yeah yeah and that just a huge pain and I think that's where these sort of languages the more robust or traditional languages comes in where they have the nice structure where you can rely on is that right well. I think we're going in two different directions. There's the one to make it faster, so it's more simple. You know, there's like it's almost like C and and you know going to add assembly that kind of thing. Then there's going upwards the other direction, and there's things that compile down to JavaScript or transpile. Yeah. So two different directions you've got. Two, two different directions. Yeah, you've got things that go more performance oriented. So yeah. things that. Uh, can make the JavaScript run faster. They're mm -hmm. not necessarily more powerful from a human, you know, interpretation. So you can't necessarily do more. Then there's other direction where you've got languages which are m maybe compiling or transpiling to JavaScript, um, and things like um, CoffeeScript were in that vein. But um, there's there's other things out now that that uh, that sort of help with that uh, asynchronous problems. I, I guess you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. trying to um, make it look like it's synchronous. Um, yeah. e even JavaScript itself, the, the language is. Um, is evolving, so there's there's the 2015 and the 2016 standard. So they've got a sync await now, which is um, some keywords that let you treat it like it like it's a synchronous function and continue on. Um, so okay. so yeah yeah things. So they must be getting value on the fly, and then you would just ex uh, get the values. Well, underneath it's still a promise. It's just that the way it's going to unfold is that you you've got you've got the flow in a slightly different layout. So it looks it looks more like it's synchronous. Okay. Or maybe you imagine like there's an implicit then, 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 like we have with, yeah. the, with a promise, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the, yeah, so. So Node has now got there. like multi threaded um, available to it as well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's becoming um, like evolving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just um, uh, not attended, I'm thinking what's the word? It was a remote meetup <laughs> <laughs> where it was from, uh, from America, but um, it was on PureScript. Um, so PureScript is a language that transpiles to JavaScript, mm -hmm. um, but it's so inspired by, by Haskell and, and uh, functional kind of languages. So underneath JavaScript is, is very functional as well. So you know a lot of things map very precisely, but um, it's um, it's it's got types. So it's it's more a type safe language as opposed to the dynamic nature of JavaScript. So you've got that complete other side of things as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So time goes on, you, you, you would see JS on Android devices as well. Uh, I, I saw this library called Johnnyfy. It's a ro robotics uh, in JavaScript. And what it does is basically, uh, you install it, so you install the node or whatever on a, uh, let's say you have a, because node would require a, a computer to run, run it. Uh, and if you have a small device uh, such as uh, Really tiny device, but what do you call these open source devices? They come popping in. Is that Raspberry Pi? No, no, one? the other one, the other yeah, Arduino. Adrenos. Adrenos. Yeah. 
Adreno yeah. doesn't have as much as power to run the JS. Uh, mm. So what you do is uh, you get the Raspberry Pi, install the node, okay. install all these JavaScript, Johnify, whatever library that you have. And what it does is sends only inputs that Adreno would recognize and control the device using JavaScript. So you're controlling the device from a Raspberry Pi? That is correct, yes. Controlling Raspberry. the Arduino? Raspberry, okay. uh, yeah, Raspberry Pi would control the Arduino. Okay. Uh, but the, the goal is that increase the decrease the complexity of what it is with C or, or C++ and bring it to the JavaScript level so that students would pick up the JavaScript, write the code, compile in a, attach the Raspberry Pi with the Arduino and compile the code in Raspberry Pi. And therefore, what you have is now the, the tiniest device is working in a lesser effort than you would normally do with C++ because of all this library that you just pull in from Node or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you know what they're doing with the Arduino? Are they controlling robots or something? Or? Uh, mainly what I see them doing is, uh, because controlling robot would need the whole operating system. With Arduino, you, you, what I think happening is controlling the sensors or getting gathering the data and, and sort of that thing. It, uh, if you're gonna control the robot, you would just might as well put a bit more powerful computer because then you're gonna have power sources. There are more, because uh, well, with probably the tiny devices is that it's not the computer that you can't fit in, it's the power that you don't have to control those devices because let's imagine you have a small sensor then put out in a street to control the lights. Uh, sometime on a remote location you don't have power so you, you have to operate on a, on a batteries and uh, in, in that case you, you can't have the whole computer running off it. Mm -hmm. You need uh, something called uh, real-time operating systems which is tiny and they can run on 1.5 kilobyte or whatever source. So. Now I've seen people do like uh, LCD displays with Arduinos, mm -hmm. so they're, they're quite fun. But also even like just uh, very simplistic robots or like walking around or a little remote control car type things. And, mm -hmm. yeah. But I don't think you can do so complex things. I don't know the, quite the limits, but as you say, I think there are processing power limits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see them as a purely data gathering from the sensors and uh, maybe turning on and off your lights and switches or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't go as far as AI would go because that's what robotics and everything else will jump in. All the AI and uh, sort of uh, mm -hmm. all just whole other category of devices. But that would require... Uh, because if you're going to have large device, you're going to have better big batteries. And if you're going to have big batteries, of course you could have a powerful computer that can handle it. Well, there was one on Reddit recently, like today, I think, where they were saying that... Uh, some government was proposing putting a RFID inside of um, the sex offender's arm or something, like under the skin. Um, but then the first comment underneath it basically said, um, you're going to need a great big power supply to go with it. It's never going to work. It's not viable. And I think that emphasizes the point that, yes, basically a small amount of electronics, you need power to do anything of any major... Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but then, uh, again, there is a... On that side, uh, speaking of, there is a other thing called motion energy. Uh, it's, it brings the energy from the motion, motion that you do. Like uh, there are, mm. on a CES 2016, I don't know if you've seen this, but there was a switch that had no input of power. It had a computer, mm -hmm. a little tiny, tiny computer. And it, 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 so what it is, is the minute you push the switch, 
what it does from the pressure of your finger, it will generate the power, turn on the compiler, do the task, and shut off the compiler. Mm-hmm. Think of that. That's pretty cool technology. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Just by pushing button, you will turn on the whole thing and turn it off again and, and ready for the next time. So I think we get there, but it's going to take a long time because the problem is right now batteries or energy to go energy with those sort of tiny computers uh, you, unless you want to have like 10 AA or AAA batteries going in and people pay lots of money replacing them yeah I must say I've never been into this kind of stuff I've never done any stuff with robotics but yeah. there is a there's a guy a local guy who does um, some of this stuff with uh, Ruby um, and he was he was looking at how to use mRuby, so like an embedded Ruby that you can put inside of one of these machines. Um, you know, he did he showed us all this work to do the integration, and then you know ran it, and it was like the switch went from the, the light globe went red. <laughs> now later on, he got a bit more advanced. He had a he had a timer, so you know, but it was like you know so much effort for that little <laughs> little win. <window. laughs> but you know, affecting something physical is kind of probably pretty cool you'd get like a bit of, a, bit of buzz out of that <laughs> yeah, yeah have any of you um done mobile apps at all i i done quite a lot mobile apps yeah yeah so that's another area i'm missing I've, yeah i've done desktop apps and web apps but not mobile yeah no i've never done mobile apps really nice. I, like, I keep looking at it and thinking i should do uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's so easy now as well like if you're a web developer you can mm-hmm. just translate technologies um, yeah. M- yeah. So much more now, like with React yeah. Native oh. and Cordova, all these technologies. Mm. AngularJS is turning out really good. Uh, yep. Now the new version is even better. They improved a lot of MVC stuff that I just talked about before. And uh, it's getting uh, to the point where I feel that in the future, getting those tech, because right now, okay, back in uh, 2013, this is the story of how I get into the mobile app. I finished my study, and this crazy company called me, like, oh, so. You send us your resume, you want to work, but you need somebody who does IRS. And like, okay, uh, give me 15 days. <laughs> Next 15 days, I wouldn't sleep. <laughs> I found this Stanford course uh, called CS115 or whatever. I just downloaded the whole thing. It's free. I spent all the next two weeks just doing IRS, learning IRS, getting in there. And, uh, and at that time, what I found is this, the, the, to get there, it's just so complex to learn different things. Now with those tools, AngularJS and uh, Cordova, all those complexity gone. And therefore, the cost to build those tools uh, came down because businesses don't have to spend that, that mm. much time or resources if you have somebody that does but better. Are they very responsive now? Because people said that building that way with like you know JavaScript and HTML tools for an app is not as responsive as doing it native level. But I've heard the technology's moved along quite a lot, and uh, it's becoming much more optimized now that it will. It is becoming viable. Oh yeah. But I've not tried. More and more, yeah. yeah. Plus the phones yeah. are improving, and you know, mm-hmm. power and CPU and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it is actually pretty I th- viable. I think. Business costs would come down dramatically because of those technology maturing and. People would enjoy more benefit of that, and it, it's not complex. It saves a lot of time. It saves uh, all the developers' life because. And is the good integration with the hardware, like integration with the cameras and the SMS and all the other? Yeah, yeah. yeah. APIs are now getting better and better because now companies like Apple or whatever realize the importance that.
people are not going to spend as much as time doing their native apps. Now, more, more and more people doing web, web, using web technology. So their APIs is also helping sort of to move this transition. In, mm. in a, in it a, means you can develop all three at once, as in Android and iPhone and web-based. And Windows. This, this thing called Ionic mm. Framework, I don't know if you guys heard of it. Yeah, yeah I have, yeah. But, uh, yeah Windows has a core JavaScript component now as well. You can build desktop native apps and... JavaScript, mm. which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, think I believe that's the way it was from the very beginning. They, they focused very much on JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to mention, you mentioned about um, performance. Perhaps that's an issue. And in, in the past, it has been. You know, they were more sluggish, and you, know, you were pretty able to detect that this was not a native app. Native you app. Could tell. Um, I know a little bit about React Native, um, and it's very interesting to me because instead of, like in effect, having a web browser, that, web browser that's embedded and you're just looking at HTML, in effect, they've got those native widgets that are in the phone, uh, in, in the standard APIs, and they've wrapped that and done a document uh, layout. So it it writes you can write like it's HTML, but in fact you'll be rendering native widgets. So you're actually going to see like the the, the normal. That was UI. called famous, wasn't it? Like two years ago or something, it got announced <laughs> as being called famous, and then the name has changed, I guess. Well, well, React is a whole different thing. It's about more about the way you render. Um, mm -hmm. No, the, the exact I'm, same I'm concept sure you're where you're about. using the native like GPU to do the rendering. Um, well, using the actual APIs, like mm -hmm. the, the underlying components, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So it feels like it's web, but actually it's not, you mm -hmm. know. But you're writing JavaScript, so there's a JavaScript engine there. Um, but there's not really a browser. Um, yeah, famous. It sounds interesting. We should look that up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when you say, so have you, but isn't it just getting more maturing that sort of part is just not react is not just there because what I found is that a lot of time is the apps that build on native has a, uh, a, a sort of that framework is use a lot of memory and, and I don't know if you noticed that but I found a couple of apps that they were running Atom is, is one of those isn't it Atom yeah Atom. Uh, no that's that's a bit of a different thing I mean when you go into desktop apps you've got um, You've got a different situation there. Um, it's a little bit like that, but you're basically you, you're you're wrapped up in um, something like Node. Um, like you're, you're wrapping, I think it's you're wrapping the JavaScript library out of out of Node, uh, mm -hmm. out of sorry, out of Chrome underneath Libv8. Mm -hmm. um, yes, so yeah, it, it does use some sort of a Chrome. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So that that is different then, because I thought that they build on those sort of frameworks, uh, the Atom uh, editor. But anyway, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. But I have no clue about the, the how that sort of things are playing well, out. Well, on, on, I mean, that's the bit that I like more, is the fact that it's React, which is uh, <laughs> basically you describe the data that you've got and how to render it, how to mm -hmm. render that out. Mm -hmm. um, but then you don't have to think about how the view is going to change. You don't mm. have to think, well, you know, I'm going to have to change that, that, um, that text box might change to being disabled and re-enabled, for example, under different conditions. Mm -hmm. you, you just change the data, mm -hmm. and in effect, it's like the entire thing is re-rendered, mm -hmm. but it's all done in, um, in memory, almost mm -hmm. like the way old games used to work, well, they perhaps still do work, where everything would be run in a buffer, right? And then yeah. we work out what's actually changed to do the minimal number of pixel changes to, yeah. to affect that. Mm, the so, double buffering cap. Yeah, yeah, like the, the, the double... Oh, is it double buffering? Is that what it's called? Yeah, you used to keep two buffers and switch the buffers. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so very Before similar. The <laughs> so what they've got yeah. is they've got the DOM in memory, yeah. the document object model for the page, and they've, they've got another one with a new state, and they can work out exactly what's changed. And just change those. And just the minimal amount of changes in the actual DOM, so that you don't have the page re-rendering, you know, very expensively. Yeah. Because um, if it has to relay out child elements and things, there's a bit of computation that has to go on. So because of that, it means you get very, very um, 
efficient rendering, yeah. but you've also got um, very, very good ability to manage your data because you just think about it in terms of your data now, not in terms of you know the view. You can think of them separately. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think yeah, they, these tools just excites me even more as being developer because. As I said, the pain of those two weeks, I still can't forget learning, <laughs> <laughs> learning IS in two weeks. It was just, I, I would... It reminds me of, uh, I did a summer school. <laughs> I, at uni, I'd done a lot of C, and I felt pretty, pretty confident with C. Yeah. And then Java was coming in as the next thing yeah. at that time. It was like 1998 or something. Yeah. Um, so um, there was a summer school. So I, I went and did that. So I was in between the, the, the main, main terms. And we had to learn Java and C++ <laughs> simultaneously, right? Good luck with that. So I was like, this is amazing. Then oh, all, the, all the similarities are so so much there that yeah. it's very hard to distinguish when yeah. you're doing a compressed period. Yeah. So, you know, slight variations on what protected and private mean and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm, they're, they're so similar, aren't they? Just copied yeah. from each other. Yeah. So I remember that as a painful experience. <laughs> but See? after that, I did a lot of Java, so that solidified. And now C++ is like a distant memory to me. <laughs> but I can read it and understand it. But Yeah. Oh, I, I, so yeah, that Java is still in my memory, but I would say the Objective C at the time, what I'd done, now it's all gone for good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can probably dig it out if you try. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but Objective C was one of the complex, it's just overly complicated things that need that, that it needs to be, I guess, back then. But then I realized that they emphasize on different things and patterns why they choose the, the way the Objective C was written, written by, by Next or whatever, now Apple. Uh, and and that's why they got rid of it because it's extremely complex stuff that doesn't have to be complex. Uh, 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 for some reason, they just had it there. But anyway, uh, Java coming a few years after uh, finishing the iOS apps, I took on the Android side, and Java was extremely helpful. I would I would pick everything on Java and then apply it to the PHP and apply it to the JavaScript uh, because there wasn't much much uh, change. You know, One of the strange things I noticed about learning a language is how much good examples help, as in regards speed up me learning the language. It's not so much whether the language is easy or hard to learn, but if I have a whole like set of really good examples to use to learn the language, yeah. I can learn it like five times faster <laughs> than what I can if like the examples are really crappy or there's no examples. It's like it really makes a big, big difference. Documentation and the you know examples around on how to use it and solve yeah. basic. Like when I first started Aren't using you? PHP, I was like so blown away by how good the examples were and how good the documentation was that I was like running with no time at all and had things up and running you know very easily and quickly. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. You're talking about that from a pragmatic perspective, right? You, you wanted the language so you could do something specific in it. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's a guy famous in Ruby community called Dave Thomas. Mm-hmm. And he talks about saying, oh, you should learn a new programming language every year. Like, try and pick up a whole brand new language. And the goal is not to be better at something. It's to be able to become a beginner again. Okay. And, and think about things in a different way. Like, you start to get a different perspective. Yeah. So what you'll find is, like, you can take the things you know, go to another language and apply them, and you'll pick up a lot of it. But the idea is not to just do that, but try and work out how has this language got a different perspective. Like, how do you be, like idiomatic in that language and really yeah. do in the way that it's expecting or it's designed for. So that's what I've been doing for a while now, but I haven't done one every year. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm thinking languages that are the most different from what I can understand. Or, yeah. or, or oh, that's, that's a good strategy, yeah. Like the, the different that's, ones are really tough to learn. Yeah. Like, so I've been doing like CoffeeScript and LiveScript and yeah. those kind of things, yeah. and those are 
pretty different, really, different. as a way of structured. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. no, definitely. I you know, also that thing where you can actually say, "Oh, look, I'm a Java programmer," and then I'll go to PHP, and then you just write it like it's Java. Yeah, you, mm. you don't even really pick up on much. Not you, much. Yeah, you yes. pick up the least you can just to get, <laughs> get in there and do stuff. Even um, even better, you would write to start with when you're going into different language. I, what I used to do is when I go from Java to PHP, I would write the function as it is in Java and expect it to go apart. <laughs> and if it throws totally the error, yeah. if it throws the error, I can always Google it and change the minimum part so that I don't have to rethink about everything because all I need is business logic to get it compiled. That's all I care. Well, we had a we had a situation where we had a small application written in Java that had a web front end and also like a desktop front end. Yeah. Um, we went all web, but we basically translated it like straight as it was to Rails, <laughs> just as a test to see how, how's this going to work out for us. Can can we pick it up? Yeah. yeah. We had the team new to it, um, and it was just so much fun because we'd look at all this Java and just delete like half of it, and it's like a much simpler, yeah, much simpler code shrinking down. Um, and you know, Java's got a lot since back then. You know, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't even. I think the for loops back then you had to do the full four i equals zero oh, i plus God. plus and i's less than this. <laughs> yeah, like C. Mm-hmm. That's pain. I never. I, I would never write that again. Like incrementing at the end, and oh God, I would just expect it to run with for each and just get my life back for those ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> neat way where you could go through the array and get all the items but you'd also have access to the index Mm. but Java never gave you access to the index with the way they restructured the for loop so you still use the old way of doing the for loops half the time because they just didn't rewrite it in the way that was like you know how you needed it to be done because so often you need access to the index yeah yeah but it does feel a bit like arbitrarily growing the language you know rather than Mm. like solving huge number of things or mm. trying to cover a lot of bases mm. it's just this one thing but it was a very annoying thing yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. now they've got um, streams and lambdas and Java 8 so you can do some things in a much more nicer way you know yeah yeah uh, the, the only part that I don't like is that not many people are going to use get a benefit of those features because as you know that Android got stuck at Java 7 and they can't get Java 8 because Oracle wouldn't let them use Java 8. <laughs> so, for me, it's like, okay, so you got this great new language with the features, and what are you going to do? You're stopping the world to use it because you don't like Google or whatever, and therefore Android's not going to have a Java 8, and they got stuck, and they're doing their own. Of, I haven't heard of that, but I have just been reading about this court case going on um, with Oracle and Google. You've been seeing that at all? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm so fully on top of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Do you want to so I think I don't know what happened just just then uh, on new results came out because there was some some ongoing investigation or whatever caught but the, the, I know technological issues that the, the industry face is is that they got Android on Java seven okay and Oracle not letting them use Java eight that's the problem. Well, they they've implemented their um, Davlik machine right virtual mm. machine so mm. like a reimplementation so I wonder what it is because I know the current the current court case is about copyrightable APIs. Mm-hmm. Saying like, are you able to copyright an API? Not not the code, mm-hmm. not the implementation, not any system, just the API, the definition of the functions and what their input output parameters are. You know. Well, if if the language is open source, yes, why not? Well, that's what they're saying. This the court battle is saying that that uh, Oracle is trying to say that the APIs are copyright, so you may not even use those APIs. Yeah. 
So you cannot re-implement those APIs, you know? <laughs> because language is free, but not the virtual machine. That's a copyright. That's what they're saying. Because no, no, they're going even further now, is what I'm saying, right? So you uh, couldn't implement the Java standard library. Yeah. Even so if you had, nothing to, you had access to nothing at all, yeah. and you implemented it from scratch, yeah, that's so okay, it's still copyright. Yeah, because see. you've got the same named functions. <laughs> so that's what I now fear about the Swift, because Swift is open source on Apple's side. But hey, yeah, can you get use those and expect that the Apple not going to do anything? I, I'm not sure. No. What if you go? They all want to make their money back, don't they? On yeah, their if you grow on, yeah, if you grow on a ten billion dollar company mm. in our little town Adelaide here, and if you start using Swift, good luck if, if, if that Apple will leave you alone or whatever because you're using their language. Well, I mean, that, that, they're providing that for their own, you know, benefit. Their own systems as well. Though. They want you to write the apps because that benefits Apple as well, right? They they largely largely doing for the big corporates like IBM. Uh, those Swift, it's because of open source, it's not because, not because of any other reason than, okay, no, let's get on the cloud down. side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the more sort of, here's the thing. They, if you want to do, now they're compiling on Linux or whatever, but they, what they want to do is, uh, IBM, I think, issued a statement that they want to have more and more iOS apps for their corporate clients, but they want to have this, those APIs running on a server side as well. Wouldn't it be cost-effective if they could write both in the one language? Because then you can hire one guy who does the both. And that's why they had a lot of talk with our Apple to make those Swift language open source, that they could write those sort of client in both. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, that is like useful for the company that owns the operating system because more software on the operating system yeah. essentially means more users. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, the, the more you can like make the operating system useful because there's software on it, then the more valuable it is. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's uh, the same problem that Microsoft essentially sort of tackled that they went down that route. You know, they wanted more and more software on their operating system. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of Microsoft, it's amazing how much, you know, uh, more they're embracing open source now oh. <laughs> as opposed to how they used to be like it's uh, you know, a cancer on the industry you, know? yeah. you, you no. should stay away from it <laughs> they're making death run it's, it's when you're merely about to see the death and you're like you're going to have so. to run around and I don't think so. I think turn this around they're pivoting they're pivoting direction they're not uh, they're not the same company anymore yeah. different yeah. different uh, guy at the top now yeah, um, yeah. but yeah it, it's certainly a different company I remember I, my first job really was was restarting Windows ninety five machines. <laughs> I was officially tech support, but it was, uh, it was like okay, power on, power on. <laughs> it's like Windows ninety eight came out, and it was like oh, only one tenth of the machines got to get restarted. But still, it was quite a lot. And then Windows uh, XP was like, well, I don't, I don't have to restart it unless they install software. <laughs> Yeah, I remember doing a job where some guy came in like at six o'clock every morning just to reset the server. It was like crazy. Yeah, actually. Yeah. We had to replace some software that was on the server side that was like that. It would basically need a restart pretty regularly every every day or two. So what server? Yeah, it was a server side web based app, oh, um, but it integrated with some like older sort of thing that was not server, uh, you know, web based. So because of that, things were not quite right somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and things would just get slower and slower and. You know, mm. that's mm. the that's the big problem of state, right? Yeah. You know, you have to clear the state, and because we're not managing it properly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I picked up lately is um, is to try and reduce the amount of mutations you have in your in your code, which is you know changing data. Always try and produce new data, 
Um, rather than changing those. Rather than changing. Yeah. So like if you have a string in Java, it's immutable, right? Yeah. Some languages like Ruby, it's not. Mm. Um, but you can also have like an array of, of items, right? Mm -hmm. Don't modify the array and insert one. You can make a whole new array with just the element added. Ah, this kind of right. thing. And then what that means is you don't have to reason about how it was and how it will be. You can just look at it at this given point in time. Okay, that's that's pretty good, interesting point with what you just made because I could just copy it with the yeah. new data, add the data, merge it with whatever I need, and then just put a new one. Yeah, yeah, it's immutability is, yeah. is the term, um, but it's also becoming more popular because of um, parallelism mm -hmm. and um, keeping things concurrent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as memory is cheap these days, so it's becoming like you know an yeah. issue to do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a thing called persistent data structures, which is where you share most of the most of that data. So, for example, in that example with an array, we're adding one. You could actually share the same array and just have a pointer to you know the additional array. So you're actually pointing to both lists one with the original array, one with the new one, and say that in total is my new array, right? So you're sharing uh, most of the thing, so you don't waste a lot of memory. Um, that's pretty handy. And yeah, that's that's um, that's a big idea that's been, been made popular with Clojure. Mm -hmm. um, and it's now coming out in other languages too. Um, JavaScript has a lot in there now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at using that right now, so. Because I always thought, uh, or at least for until now, is that use as much as existing values you could, utilize those they exist in a sort of in a compiler right now rather than just creating the new and uh, mucking around with the new and just uh, but that's really nice uh, way to look at it is just that create new and, and save those sort of, because then of course that is more energy intent or processing intensive task to just replace the array because I think arrays cost the most isn't it well, I mean, they're a container, so yeah. they can grow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Typically, you have them because you have a, a few things at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, so we're discussing time management and uh, well, how do you do manage your time? Do you have any... Oh, yeah. That's, that's an interesting segue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so, I've tried Pomodoro technique, which is where you... Um, you would do a small burst of time. So, you know, you go like 20 minutes and then you have to have a mandated break for five minutes. You come back and do another 20 minutes. And the idea is after about, I think it's like four making up two hours, then you have a larger break. So, you know, the idea is each time you, you would try and define what you're going to get done in that, that small portion of time. Because it's so small, you typically can. You typically can work out what you can do or you, you grossly overestimate <laughs> and you find out very quickly, you know, you can feed yeah. back to yourself saying, you know, oh, actually I've got to get smaller components here yeah. um, to be able to say what I can do or cannot do. The problem is having discipline to be able to stop and say, okay, it's time for that break when you're just about to type that code in that, that fixes the problem you've been working on. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. I got, uh, okay, so how many lines of code? This, this question popped in just the recently I was looking at. How many, the question is, how, it's, it's really nice because it fits in what you just said. It's about timing management or 20 minutes of breaks, uh, break after 20 minutes of each segment. How many lines of code would you write in those 20 minutes? Versus if you didn't have those 20, 10 minutes break. Do, do you see any, any increase in, in line of code that you write if you do that versus if you don't do that? I, mean, I don't know if I would quantify it in lines of code. But more so in freshness of mind, I think. Yeah. Okay. Capable understanding and clearer in your mind, and that's 10 minutes up. Yeah, I can mm. solve a problem using five lines of code <laughs> instead Hold of on. 100. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, this. So you can just listen to Pomodoro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of 
can I solve this problem using like just 10 lines of code kind of thing? Or does it take me like two hours to solve this problem? And really I want like a very small number of lines of code because then it's not going to take me long to write the code anyway. Yeah. 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 So I get the problem solved quickly. Yeah. If my focus is on how many lines of code I'm writing per hour, then I'm heading the wrong direction anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. That's, that's a good point because yeah. Uh, in the past, I saw those sort of uh, arguments where line of the more line of code you've written and then submitted in the Git was sort of more sort of uh, embraced in a in a in a sort of environment where like okay you you run you you wrote lots of line of code it's good it's a it, simplistic it, measure but, but it, it doesn't really <laughs> stand up to much scrutiny no the reason you wrote with most line of code is because you didn't most of the time what have end up happening is that. That I'm so the languages like all those backend languages that we just talked about so much uh, mature that there are few there's some sort of function that does the job uh, merging arrays and things uh, just simple but there are more complex things is just done you just not read the documentation and therefore you had to read those lines or or just you going about doing it wrong uh, yeah, if you had to write just so much you can also be just the case of you know doing a brute force you know first thought that came into your mind rather than thinking about the design and coming up with, you know, elements that make more sense and you can break it down better and it, it overall reads more, more, more easily um, yeah. and more comprehensible. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, in, in my last job, we do a lot of code reviews. We yeah. still do. Um, but we, we had a, a big emphasis on that. So if you did a huge amount of code, it means the code review is really hard, you know. Everyone's got to sit there and work out what all this stuff does, you know. <laughs> and there's that joke that says, you know, if it's a very tiny code review, everyone just picks on every little tiny element, right? What's <laughs> <laughs> so big it's like, uh, I can't possibly, you know, look at this <laughs> in any sort of, you know, sense. Yeah, it's a... I think the point of code reviews is to try and find ways to make the code better, not to pick on people. (laughs) (laughs) We want a high-quality product being shipped out the door is basically the focus. That's right, that's right. So when you're looking at it, you're saying, how could it be better? Um, But you don't want to, like, say, throw this all out unless it really needs to. (laughs) (laughs) So there's there's a compromise. Yeah, yeah. Working in a team is always like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, it's always fun because I think you learn more, and especially you work in U, U.S. companies. How, how do you find different culture than what, what you find here locally? Tell us, Pete. Hmm, I don't know if I take it too much. Um, most of my team is, is Australian. We've got the, the business people in, in the U.S., um, but I don't detect too much of a difference, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can't say too much more to that. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I've uh, yeah. worked with like coders in America before, and there's not a great deal of difference. The yeah. culture is pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I done my first job was uh, with a company in San Francisco, and uh, they had an office in Sydney. Uh, yeah. And uh, the uh, yeah, it was just fun. I think the biggest the biggest problem to come around is the time zone it's time zones. overlaps. You know, so three p.m., four p.m. in the afternoon for me is that. Sorry, that, that afternoon is my early morning. Mm. So we've got just a brief period of overlap. Mm-hmm. So luckily they're around typically in the evening mm. if, if there's any sort of emergencies. But, you know, you have to sort of compress your your thoughts and questions about um, requirements and get them clarified. And then Before you're on your own again. <laughs> and that can work really well. You've got to then you're gonna get it straight in your head how things are supposed to be and you've got, you know, something to move forward with. 
and then you can build something and then yeah. they can see what you've done while you're asleep. <laughs> you come in the morning, you've got a whole list of things to go through and, and then you can discuss it. So, you know, as long as you do get that discussion, it works pretty well. Pretty well, yeah. yeah. Uh, you need that so every day. And I found that the more, with the, with the types, the industry we are in, the, the sort of review process is so important that because you have so many business pro- logic problems, like when I see it, like I... Here's a classic example. The customer X would come in with their whole business in their mind and what they want to achieve. And, and they will put all that in the one person who is in meeting. Then you have to communicate that to the team where five people are working. And, and therefore, you need that sort of element where you're constantly checking, is this right? Is this what they want? And is the business logic going to do produce the results that they want? Because often the time you ship the app and it's not doing what they want it, you know. Mm-hmm. That's uh, really like things like XP and Scrum and all those kind of things uh, really came around because that was such a common problem. Yeah. So actually creating software that didn't really solve the problem that the customer faced. Mm. And so trying to like push the requirements gathering step of like running a software project right early on and uh, make sure that got addressed as early as you possibly can address it yeah and so create like screen designs and uh, release prototypes and those kind of things to get customer feedback no um, I think you're yeah. pretty I was just going to say there is somewhat of a problem now where you know a, a large organisation want, really wants to keep working the way they are but they're kind of trying to embrace some of these ideas but only doing it superficially I suppose for example um, you can be developing some software and going through an agile process whereby actually instead of a user, you're talking to a project manager um, and you're doing regular releases, but actually it's only to a test server and no one's actually looking at it. Um, you know, and you can have the sprint over and complete all your tasks, but you know, in mm. the day, it hasn't, hasn't been seen and you don't really get that good feedback. Yeah. Um, you can get in a situation where you know, months of work down the track, mm. it finally goes out to user testing, oh. and hey, this is actually really bad and not going to work for us. Even though there's no bugs, you know, mm. it's just the flow of it and the way it uh, doesn't fit with the, the business that it needs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, throw I, it away, start again, you know. It, it is so, because your customer is often busy. They're busy with getting their normal day-to-day work done. And yeah. so although they want the software, they're like, you know, fully booked with their time and don't often have the time to give the project, you know, team mm. feedback on, on, you know, is the software going to deliver what they need? Is it the right design? Yeah. Yeah. So just yeah. getting time out of busy people is hard to do. Yeah, I, to, to me, that's what all these agile processes are about: are those feedback loops. What, what, when you say agile process, let, what, what, when you say what agile development process, what's what goes in your mind? What do you, what are your thought process is? Um, well, I mean, the the main purpose is to be able to re- remain agile, and in the sense that you can continue to develop features that can go out, um, and you can you can you can pivot to a different set of features if you need to without being locked into a certain way as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about maintaining sort of like a, a consistent speed of development. You don't keep going and then suddenly get stuck. You know, mm. It can happen with a sort of a more junior team. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they can get things out the door quickly and then there's, um, there's a lot of quality issues mm-hmm. and, uh, and things slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're just fixing bugs all the time and then it becomes very hard to change anything. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, as, as, as it goes out to market, perhaps it's, it's all going to work in a different way. You find out, you know, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't quite fit, but it's yeah. almost there. We could just make it do this. So if you can, um, if you can then 
pivot and then implement some different features maybe that don't quite fit your original design but yeah. adapt the design and you've got the ability to do that because it's reasonably clean code um, that's, that's what I think of as wanting to achieve yeah. and the way to do it is to have that feedback at, at, at the low level so when yeah. I'm programming I've got testing I've got feedback there when, I'm, when I've got another programmer with me so I've got uh, another human brain yeah. giving me the feedback I've got the user seeing the code, uh, the, the pro program running as soon as possible, and I get the feedback from the real user. Yeah. So all yeah. these loops that are getting larger and larger until, you know, it's you can apply it all the way up to the business really, um, to the top where the whole business is producing more and better, um, and feedback loop sort of enabling yeah. that. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you just said is really important, but very few people get it right. Well, I mean, yeah, you can look at that and say, well, we just got to follow these steps that this process tells us, and that really was the problem in the past because yeah. that's exactly what happened. It's like, oh, that didn't work. Let's try another process, yeah, so we follow those steps. <laughs> it, because it's it's not about following a step. It's about setting this, that culture in a company a lot of the time because I've been to the places where you, 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 you have the 10-page documentation guidelines that this is what you do, but then people sitting at the top didn't follow those or didn't look at closely or didn't provide that sort of environment where does this thing are actually happening or be are we made ourselves possible so that those people who are working there could do this sort of job because often the time it's not because the time consumed by those people at the down really works at the coding perspective is mainly on a, on, a, on a things getting out the door because you have lesser people and bigger tasks therefore those sort of cycles would break because Hey, they don't have time to do it, but but I think getting that right is just is so important that you're going to spend your forty thousand dollars to build the software, only to find out that it's not going to work. It's so and that's expensive. It's so easy to say, oh, we haven't got enough money or time, so we'll just skip the testing. <laughs> and it's like, well, then actually you don't have a very good product, <laughs> yeah. so things aren't going to work. Yeah. poor quality yeah. to instead doing a very very minimal set of features but to a fairly high standard of quality yeah that's um, so yeah I mean feature that you don't implement is got the least number of code you know least number of lines of code <laughs> that you have to fix <laughs> yes so there's no there's also that not, not a lot of people realise this but as you become more senior developer you realise that all the code you write is a maintenance on you right it's, mm. it's even if it's just there that you have to navigate through or you know, it's adding one more file into the list that you mm. have to then look through. Mm. Um, and it's always there. It's always always that extra load, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, really minimizing, like completely minimizing. Um, because you can get to the point where features are there and you just keep them there because they're there and no one's actually using that, that yeah. feature at all. <laughs> yeah. And it's extremely hard to prune things once it's gone out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, and I think what I tell people comes is that Exactly. Like, to figure how much is your budget? Oh, 15000 The features you want are not going to happen in 15000 You better come back with fewer features with the same amount. What you're going to have is greater quality of app that does few things in that budget and much better. Rather well, than just I would tend have to disagree. I used to think that way until I had this project where... I propose we reduce the number of features uh, on the project and they basically came back to me and said, 
the business works in this particular way and we're going to need these features no matter what because this is how our business works. And so uh, negotiations on features were not really a possibility because basically you had to solve the business problem. Yeah. yeah? And if the, the, the software didn't solve the business problem, then you, you weren't going to be but able to did you know, try make the project them, worthwhile. Yeah, but did you try to tell them that you need more budget than what you have? Or did, did oh, the project did get more, more budget, yes. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, that, that's, that, yeah, that that's fair, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. The other yeah. side of that is, is it possible to implement like a, maybe all the business required steps and features, but not to the full completeness, you know? Or leave some of them as manual process or something. Those could, are, the, could the, the, there are then you've got, things you like, can explore. I mean, the idea is you want some of the system in place with the ability for them to use it so you get feedback, even if, you know, you haven't completely finished... But they do want like their existing business to be successful using the software and it's an improvement over what they have at the moment, yeah, yeah. really. I've seen that situation before and I know what you mean. It can be very hard to try and break down any other way. Um, mm-hmm. I remember hearing a story where the idea was um, it was a chemist software, right? So they couldn't go and put this push new features out to chemists like... People just can't do that. They need to be <laughs> properly showing how it works and all the rest of it. But the what training. they did is because it was it was a very large chain, they ended up setting like a, like a fake chemist okay. where they could just try the software out side by side with the other one and have the developers there and actually see um, how that worked. Um, but that's that's putting in a big effort, isn't it? You know, like sometimes the business doesn't see that yeah. that side of things, but it's a massive value add. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so. What else we want to cover? Uh, well, um, one thing we should talk is about the podcast itself. How, how regularly should we do this? Uh, <laughs> quite uh, quite frequently. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, uh, well, it's up to you guys. How much time do you guys get? Once a month, twice a month? Uh, I was I was thinking every two weeks. Yeah, As in, yeah, twice like a month. Meet at the jelly and then. Uh, on the Monday, do the <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a bit of a backstory we should go into as well. Yeah, do you, do you want to go into it? Uh, yeah, how, uh, it's interesting how I met because. All right, so the question is, how do we all just met each other? And it's, uh, so Melbourne has this thing called a jelly, where okay. people go around and work at various co-working spaces. So people who are mostly working from home and want to like meet some people and get out of the house a bit, and um, and so they. In Melbourne, they run this thing called the Jelly, mm-hmm. and it got copied over to Adelaide. Some guy who used to live in Melbourne basically saw it and decided it was a really good idea, and so brought the idea to Adelaide. And so it's called the Jelly, and just working at co-working spaces. Yeah, I actually think it's because you gel with people. <laughs> but apparently, there's this long contri- contrived story about how there was a bowl of jelly in some guy's house. There's nothing to do with jelly. <laughs> so there you go. You know? wow. <clears throat> okay, so that's how like have you got to get together with Jelly. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, do you want to just like go around with where we work? Um, because we are all remote workers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll start. Uh, so I run com- two companies, uh, basically. I work for myself. Uh, one called DuckDesk. Uh, it's a team collaborative platform, I think. I've shown both of you guys. Uh, and it's just still better. I put a six months of pros. I spent part-time or six months to just create this software and... Uh, it's, it's, it's in a beta, so it's getting there. Uh, and I also run a company called AppCrunch. AppCrunch, yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, the, the goal is to uh, build a gold standard software for the customers around here in, in Adelaide. Uh, 
and uh, sort of provide services on a, based on the software solutions. Uh, we do web, iOS, Android, uh, and uh, and not to sort of because not for companies a focus. I, I at least what I saw is it's focus on the revenue rather than the results, and that's what I want to do. And what, that's why I started companies to provide those results to the customer, saying, okay, you want to do these ten things, but I think four of these are wrong. If you go this way, you're definitely heading to the wrong directions. Not because, and maybe cancel those doing it because. End of the day, it's not about revenue; it's about businesses providing those services. So that's what I do on those two companies, and uh, yeah. So yeah. a solution uh, to problems, as in delivering value to human beings. Yeah. That is correct. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, rather than rush, rushing after revenues. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm working on a thing called Cellmaster, mm. uh, spreadsheet cell. So a way of but just um, because. Of if not, there's not clear on the audio. It's C E L L, right? That, not S A L E, sale. Yes. Spreadsheet sale, you said. That one. Yes. No, I should change the name, maybe. There you go. So it's a way of creating software using only spreadsheet formulas. The key early adopter market really looks to be people who got complicated quotations Mm -hmm. so they want to create um, like doing solar panel installation or custom software for some other business or where the calculations required to create the quotation are Mm -hmm. really complicated Mm -hmm. and the best way to deal with that is to have the calculations in the spreadsheet Mm -hmm. but they would also like a user interface adding to it and the only way to really add the user interface at the moment is code, but this solves that problem because it's an easy way to add the user interface just using spreadsheet formulas. Mm. Um, and I also do a bit of lecturing, so just uh, you know, part-time lecturing on the side as well to earn awesome. a bit of extra money. Yeah, mm-hmm. exciting. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I worked a long time at a local company. Um, I, I left and did a few years of my own at a, at a consulting company that, that I started up with a colleague. I went back to that same company after that, and but now the last uh, seven or eight months I've been um, been remote working. So yeah, I work with a company called Reinteractive, who do Ruby and Rails and JavaScript consulting. Um, but yeah, it's the first time I've been like fully remote um, mm-hmm. as a fully remote uh, part of a, a team, and everyone in the whole company is remote. Um, so you know all the developers all over Australia, um, which is really good. You know I'm seeing how to how how that works, and it's working pretty well. So um, that's where I came in on the jelly. But, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed the remote side of things, being able to spend some more time at home and avoid the, the traffic in the morning. Traffic in the morning, yeah. <laughs> Definitely has <house> a life. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, pretty much all that we want to cover today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been a pleasure having all of us together and uh, talking with each other because we sort of want to have podcast going, so I think this is going to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and yeah, uh, we'll catch up next time. Cool. And, uh, Until and next do, time. Uh, and do some more uh, on a, on a how programming and everything else is working in the world. Okay, so until then, see you all. See you. Bye. bye. See ya. Bye.